Hello and welcome to Who Books That with Harrison Greenbaum. I'm your host, Harrison Greenbaum, and I am so excited for you to be joining me uh, on the 17th episode. We've had an incredible run and uh, I'm so excited about our guests. But before we get there, uh, just uh, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, this show is presented by the International Brotherhood of Magicians. So if you are not a member or you want to renew your membership, just go to magician.org slash join dash the dash IBM slash join. Very easy to join. It's a fantastic organization. And if you'd like to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, just go to at Harrison Comedy. Pretty easy, at Harrison Comedy. And this show is every Monday and Wednesday at 7 p.m. if you're on the East Coast, 4 p.m. if you're on the West Coast. Our next guest on Monday is Mark Summers, the host of Double Dare. Uh, he's had a ton of shows on the Food Network. He also was a stand-up comedian and a magician earlier on in his career, has performed at the Magic Castle. So I'm very excited to talk to him on Monday. But wow, tonight's episode... Uh, could not be more thrilled. Uh, the first time I think I encountered our guest work, I was watching Fox and a cartoon called The PJs came on. I did not know uh, it was for adults because I was younger. I just saw animated figures and uh, ended up falling in love with that show and that writing. Uh, fast forward to The Office uh, where I saw Larry uh, play a character on that. And uh, I was a big fan of the Bernie Mac show. I had no idea all these shows that I loved had the through line that Larry Wilmore was a huge part of it. Even Teen Angel, uh, Sister Sister on uh, TGI Friday. There were so many shows that Larry has either been in or has been a, a major part of. And it's been incredible going through his biography. Uh, we got to meet uh, in person at the Comedy Cellar where we had a magic off at the table. We'll see if he remembers that. He is a wonderful, wonderful magician and incredible comedian, writer, and producer. I could not be more thrilled to have this guy on the show. Make some noise. Get excited. It's Larry Wilmore, everybody. Hello. Hey, Harrison. How you doing? How's it going? Good. Such a nice intro. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. I uh, For those it. who don't know Larry, which I, I feel like is the minority, um, he was born in Los Angeles. He yes. grew up third uh, of six children. His brother Mark is also a television writer. They were uh, we worked on In Living Color together. He was on Star Search, Comic Strip Live. He's an Emmy Award winner. He was the host of The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore. Uh, he was on The Daily Show, which was uh, a seminal show in my comedy development. He was the senior black correspondent. Uh, and uh, he has a book out called, let me make sure I get it right, I'd Rather We Got Casinos and Other Black Thoughts, which is still available, and has a podcast on the air called Larry Wilmore Black on the Air with the Ringer Podcast Network. So too make much. sure to check it out. Too much. <laughs> it's too much. We don't need it. Too much. If you're done, I think we've got all the information. Thank you for joining us, Larry. That's been an episode of Who Books That? I hope you guys enjoyed it. <laughs> Very well. Welcome to my messy office. I appreciate you coming in. Yeah. Oh no, I love it. There's a very lonely printer in the back, and then it looks like yeah. the remain the bottom half of a magic poster. Yes, it's a uh, it's a little Herman poster there. You can see Herman the Great. There That's you go. amazing. Yeah. Is that just, an original? No, it's just a print. Yeah, it's <laughs> one that I've always I've always liked. Yeah. I, I guess we should dive right into it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you started out, you you grew up in Los Angeles. You were, uh, you dropped out of college, started doing stand-up. But while you were a kid, you, I, I think, was magic the first thing that you started with? Yeah, it pretty much was, you know. I was about maybe seven, yeah, about seven or eight. And they had this thing called the Indian Y Guide. It was kind of like the Cub Scouts, you know, where you learned about Native American culture and you 
you know, it was really a way to get those 60s madmen fathers to spend time with their kids, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember there was a guy who did a rope trick at one of them where he cut it in half and tied it up and slid the knot off. And I'm like, my seven-year-old brain's like, the fuck? Like, what just happened? <laughs> and I went home and I would not rest, would not rest till I, till maybe, I don't know if I figured it out, but I certainly figured out a version that worked for me, you know. And uh, and then uh, um, once my parents came home and I had made my own cups and balls out of Tupperware cups, I'd watched uh, <laughs> At that time, there was a magician called Marshall Brodeen. I don't know if you remember Marshall Oh, Brodeen. yeah, he the TV magic cards. TV magic cards. And he used to do the TV magic cups, you know, and I watched, I watched that like a hawk till I just figured it out, you know, and I made up my own. And my parents said, oh, you're really into this. And they bought me a magic set that Christmas. And I just went down that rabbit hole and never came out. And uh, when you were like, were those Tupperware clear cups uh, or did you, did you? No, they, were, opaque, at least? they were like, um, not quite clear. You couldn't, you really couldn't see through it. You, you could, it was just opaque enough, you know? And I just had little like uh, paper balls, that kind of thing. I actually did a pretty good routine. I just followed his routine. His routine that, in fact, I still remember that routine. It's so funny uh, that he did on television in that commercial. Oh, that's awesome. And I, I feel like we had a similar trajectory. Like we were both magic kids. And then at some point the stand-up bug bit you. And what was that transition like? Were you using magic to interact at any point or were you doing pure stand-up? It wasn't so much that stand-up took over. I mean, I loved magic growing up, right? But around in high school, I remember we had a magic club and all this stuff. And and um, I remember I was on my friend was on the newspaper and he put me on the cover with the linking rings. I remember I still had a picture somewhere. But I remember thinking, I remember I met some, I think I met a couple of professional magicians who just seemed real snotty to me, you know. And it kind <laughs> of it it shut my brain down to the thought of doing it for a living, ironically. It's so funny. And I just kind of kept it out as a habit, but I really didn't. I really didn't advance in it past that point till I got back into it years later. Uh, I was working on a TV show. And, you know, at that time, you know, I knew enough sleight of hand to get you in trouble. You know, I could classic, <laughs> palm, you know, that type of thing, back palm with the card, you know, things like that. But, but not any real routining of things, you know, or that type of stuff. So when I was working on the show Teen Angel, in fact, the show that you mentioned, that was run by Al Jean and Mike Reese, who ran The Simpsons, who still run The Simpsons, Al Jean does. And by the way, Denise is watching because Denise said Larry Wilmore is the best. That's hey, Mike. Denise. Mike has been on the show before on the Chris Kenner yeah. episode. So there's Denise yeah. and Larry Wilmore is the best. And she would like to see your magic routine at some point. I will do that for you. Denise is the best. Her, As she knows, she's married to him. Her husband is one of the funniest comedy writers of all time. 100%. Um, it's a fact. Mike Reese, always dependable, really funny. So I was working with Al. And Alan Mike of this show. And I remember um, Steve Papoon was working on the show as a friend of mine. And he had just joined the Magic Castle, but he had just gotten into magic. Like, just gotten into it. Like, yesterday, right? <laughs> and he, he's doing some Larry Jennings stuff, you know? He's doing the, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? You know? And he had, he, was, he had already in one year advanced past where I had left off. And I, I was so embarrassed, Harrison. It was actually out of shame. <laughs> I, I jumped back in with full force because I had to get my chops up. And a year later, I joined the castle and I would go every Friday night and I just worked on it, worked on it, worked on it. Until I, you know, I actually, it's funny. I was like, you know how magic, when you start off, you kind of go up to this level and there's a plateau and you either go past that or not. So I was at that plateau, but at that stage, I went bam and just went up to that next spot, you know, of just 
really just doing stuff. And it was so much fun to do that. You know, so I owe it to Steve Plume in some ways and Alan Lake, of course. And when you were, but did, do you think all the stuff that you had learned doing magic kind of informed the ways you approached the comedy that you were doing or the comedy oh, that you were writing? I always love giving the audience something they don't expect. And in a way they don't expect it maybe, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's what's kind of fun about the best of magic. You know, there's something, um, let's, I'll call it deliciously unexpected is the best kind of magic that you watch. You know, you know why I say that? Because the best magic doesn't make you go like this. It doesn't make you do that. It makes you go, oh, and you're almost filled with this joy. <laughs> it's this feeling that overtakes you when you're in the hands of somebody who transports you. When I was a kid, the first magician I fell in love with was Doug Henning, you know? And Doug Henning gave me that feeling all the time. I was like, oh my God, like, what is he doing for Christ's sakes? You know, he <laughs> transported me. And I love, when I, the stuff that I love to see in magic gives me that kind of joy and thrill. And I love that kind of stuff, you know? And so in comedy, you say, well, how can you, you know, making people laugh can do that as well, you know? And figuring out surprise, I'll tell you about a sketch that I wrote for In Living Color. It has nothing to do with magic, but it has to do with surprise, okay? So there was a character called The Ugly Woman. It was a Jamie Foxx. He played this, uh, you know, he played Wanda, you know, and then he had that kind of look, you know. And uh, it was, we had only done one sketch so far. And, and in that sketch, Tommy Davidson was set up on a blind date and that was his date. And it was real uncomfortable. It was real funny. And that, that was pretty much it. And we didn't even think we we're gonna do anymore. But I thought, boy, it would be really funny if Tommy didn't see Wanda until he had already like matched on her and like made moves and everything. So I, <laughs> I thought of this sketch where he's getting a massage, you know, and his head is down in the thing. And Wanda's giving him a massage and they're all being sexy. And he's really making like hard moves, hard moves, hard moves. <laughs> and then as soon as she says, okay, baby, we'll turn around. He turns around, he's like, no! Nah! <laughs> Tommy literally, he jumped off of the massage table and Tommy Davidson was so skinny. And it, Jamie Foxx like pulled down his little his little his little underwear and his little his little butt is like showing as he's running around he's pacing around the table. I mean the audience laughed so hard, Harrison, it, and there was so much joy in that laughter. And that's what I'm talking about because that surprise, although that was an that was an expected surprise, that was not an unexpected one. But they were just waiting. They couldn't wait until they saw that moment, you know. So those types of moments I look for in comedy. Well, it's one of those surprises where like when you when somebody picks a card, they know you're going to find it at the end. Exactly. exactly. So there's a tension of how is he going to exactly. find it? It seems impossible. But when it yeah. does happen, there's still an explosion. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. I actually have a picture of you on set uh, of Living Color. Uh, oh, no. This one uh, I thought was a pretty good one. Oh, my. Oh, no, that's actually Mark. That's my brother. Oh, that's Mark Wilmore. Yeah, because oh, Mark, okay. <laughs> Mark was in the cast of In Living Color for the last season. And that's Allie Wentworth, who's married to George Stephanopoulos. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, they must have mislabeled it on the BuzzFeed article I pulled this from. Well, they always do that stuff. And it's <laughs> my brother's my brother's bane that he's always he always gets that, you know. But um, <laughs> I was on the show, I think maybe twice, a couple of times, you know. But but at that point I was I was really focusing on being a writer more than a performer after having been a stand-up up to that point. Yeah, well, I, I, I got to dig into your stand-up and I found an old clip from the early oh, yeah. 90s. And yeah. a joke, one of your jokes, uh, I'm, all your jokes kill me, but this one was one of my favorites, so let's roll that. You know something that's weird, I was reading in the paper, you know how we have 26 letters 
in our alphabet, I found out that the Chinese people have over like 6,000 symbols, you know? That's too many letters, right? I mean, Wheel of Fortune's got to be a right? Yep, that was one of my favorite jokes, yeah. It's a great, uh, I don't know if you could do the act out nowadays and that follows that. Yeah, it's very correct. But it was that you'd be so tired. There's so many letters you'd be so tired. Is I'd like to buy another bow. I'm so tired. <laughs> I always had a lot of fun performing that one. Yeah. That's one of those jokes too, where I know it's a good joke when I'm angry. I haven't thought of it. When you go, God <laughs> damn it, that's such a good premise. My other favorite one from back. My other favorite stand-up joke was I would say how people because I'm light-skinned, people always ask me what I'm mixed with, you know, and they give me that face. They go, Are you mixed with them? And I say, Look, if I was a beer, I'd be a Negro light, okay? And I am a third, and I am a third less angry than the regular Negroes. So it just got, <laughs> I got always, always got a laugh. And I, it was always one of my favorite jokes. Nice 80 joke for you there, everybody. And in that appearance, you made a joke saying that you could describe yourself as blackish, which ended up becoming the name yeah. of the show that you had a part yeah. of. Is that the connection? Yeah, there you go. Did, did they pull that base from that? Was that something that came no, up no, no. You in your stand up or? Now you're going to get me in trouble because Kenya independently on his own. No, that's, I, I mean, I think what's also amazing too is. Uh, I can't believe you had that. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, there's more. Oh, God. Uh, I, no, I, I, here's something you may not know, Harrison. Predating that, if you want to go back further, I was actually on the Facts of Life. Um, I played a cop, Officer Ziakis, and I came into Edna's Edibles and uh, kind of accosted the uh, girls in, in Edna's Edibles, Facts of Life. So there you go. And I think you mentioned in one of your interviews that you sometimes messed with the writing, that you would rewrite your lines, even if you yeah. weren't the writer was, on the show? When I was starting out as an actor, I didn't know any better. And I would add the lines that I just thought were funnier, you know, not knowing I'm probably disrespecting the writer right there in the audience. <laughs> and many times I would get a laugh, you know, uh, I would just go by my instincts, but I didn't do it out of malice or anything. I was just trying to make something funny, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it was very, it's interesting how you could just do things without knowing. I got my first job at the market perform. I didn't know any better. I, I didn't have a picture or a resume. Um, I went and auditioned for this thing. It, it was for a non-equity replacement understudy. And so I go in and, I, and because it's theater, you have to move, you have to, you have to sing, you have to show you can dance, you do a monologue. So I do this monologue and it's kind of dramatic. And I pick this guy up and I kind of throw him on the floor, you know, and then I'm all finished with the good Larry, that was great. You know, you just threw the producer on the floor and go, Oh, sorry. You know, and then, <laughs> and then I didn't have a picture resume. So I said, well, is there, how can we contact you if, if uh, we want to hire you for this? I said, well, I'm going to be in Santa Barbara this weekend, I think. I really don't have a phone. Can I just call you guys, you know? And, <laughs> and they gave me their number, Harrison. They gave me their number. And then that Monday, I come back, you know, and I'm just a student at this time. I'm still in college. And I go, oh, yeah, I got to call those people about that thing. Let me see if I got that. And um, and I called them and said, well, Larry, we, we don't want to offer you the uh, understudy part. Uh, really sorry about that. I go, that was okay. Thanks a lot. I have fun. And I'm about to hang up. They go, no, no, no. You don't understand. We want to give you the equity role, the lead, one of the lead roles. <laughs> I go, oh, that's awesome. You know, that's how I got my first job, actually. Just by completely, complete ignorance and not caring. And I didn't not care as a method. I honestly just didn't know anybody, you know. And do you think, I mean, because like you're, the nightly show comes after 25 years of being a writer, an actor, and a comedian. Is there something, is there a lesson in patience there? Or is it just about when the time is right, the time is right? Harrison, you're so 
So true. I started writing for television in the early 90s because I wanted to develop a show for myself. In my mind, maybe that was three years from there, you know, who knows, you know, but you just don't know, you know, but I knew I wanted to get good at writing and producing before I put myself out there and risk myself not having any experience. But I tell you what, I ended up loving the behind the scenes so much that I didn't really put a timeline on it. I just, it was something to do as a vocation, you know, I really ended up liking it. By the time the nightly show came around, I used to joke about it. Like when people said, uh, Larry, is the nightly show gonna change you? Is fame gonna, I said, look, I'm in my fifties. Fame had its chance in its twenties to change me. At this point, fame can go fuck itself. It's way too late for fame to change me. Are you, what's he gonna do now? I don't know, what can fame actually do now, you know? <laughs> Yeah, in the, in the interview with David Williamson, we talked about a quote that he had heard from a comedian, which is, it's a race to become famous before you become bitter, which is something yeah, a comedian yeah. told him. Let's hope you don't get bitter. Luckily, I've always loved what I do, so I was never in danger of getting bitter. Like, Harrison, I'm not the type of person, I was never trying to make it. Like, to me, once I decided to be in business, I made it. When I said, when I dedicated myself to showbiz, to me, I made it. So then it's a matter of, well, what do you want to do? You know, when I did stand up, I loved doing that. Writing, I loved doing that. Producing, having my own show. So there was never a destination to me. To me, once I decided to do it, I considered myself a success, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the flip side too, to that idea of getting famous before you get bitter. There's also the idea of the people that I know who are who are famous and yet also very humble and fun are the people who kind of had to work it. If they get it when they're 16, they're much more likely to be monsters than if they oh, get it having really worked for a really long time to get what they're what, where they are. It takes it takes a divine intervention to to have you not be an asshole if you get rich and famous. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one saying that I always thought, you know, as long as I'm not a coal miner, I've won. Like I get to wake up every day and do jokes, and that's my whole job. And then I met a coal miner, and I realized any joke I say could potentially offend somebody. He's like, "Fuck you, asshole." Yeah. He's like, "I like my job. It's re it's really important." And I was like, "As long as I'm not, as long as I'm not I pick." He's like, as long as I'm not a nerdy magician, I've won. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, connecting to that idea too, because uh, you know, you can't make everybody happy. Um, yeah. When when you do comedy, like your comedy is satire, it's biting. There's a target. There's a strong opinion behind it. In magic, I don't know if I see that as much. Whereas people go on stage with a strong opinion, you know where they stand. Do you? Yeah. Know, why do you think that magic hasn't caught up to comedy in that way? Well, I don't know if it, if that's what the art form is, you know, I don't think it's, I mean, comedy is so much about words, you know, and expression, you know, um, you can't have a magic comedy album. You can't have a magic album like you have a comedy album, you know, because you have to see it. It's a visual art, you know. Although um, I'm working on one, I uh, for my, <laughs> I'm actually doing it's a we're trying to record it during quarantine, but it's a it's an album. Somebody's gonna steal us now that I'm mentioning it, but yeah. it's an album that's audio only of my magic show. So it's thirty thousand people are there, celebrity guests that you can't yeah. see. Uh, I guess game that you don't know how long it's gonna take to get out. It would have been tough to have the button down magic of Bob Newhart, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been a tough sell, you know. You just. You hear silence, 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 and oh. <laughs> but um, I think it's the nature of, of, of what they are. There's just different different forms. I don't think magic requires it, you know. Yeah, I mean, you have your pen and tellers, though, who definitely take a stance. And it's interesting that they're an outlier. Yeah, they're kind of their personalities. Now, magic, I like the different ways people figure out a new delivery system to fool people 
and to get people amazed. Like I felt David Blaine, when he came on the scene, I thought it was brilliant because he figured out that rather than me fooling you, I want to show you what the effect looks like on people, you know, and, and putting the camera on the people reacting more so than this elaborate produced smoke and all this stuff of the trick, I thought was a brilliant evolution of the delivery system of, of how we're viewing. Now we're going through another one where it's getting more theatrical, you know, where it's a live event. Um, my, our buddy Helder is doing his thing at the Geffen right now, which he's doing on Zoom for Christ's sake. Yeah. <laughs> Harrison, it's a sold out hit on Zoom, which goes against everything you think. It's like, but don't you think it would be fake on Zoom, you know? Or and it's $75 a ticket, which God bless him. But he's figuring out how to do this theatrical show digitally, which is mixing up two different forms. So who I love when people mix things up and give us different ways to experience. Because remember, the thing that we're looking for is we want the audience to experience something, you know. And if it, if we had kept doing it the way that Herman did it back in the day, as brilliant as he was, you know, <laughs> people would just be done, right? Yeah, I mean, when people always ask me why I shifted from magic to stand up when I when I made that shift originally. And I'd always said, well, I, you know, if I want to talk about abortion and I'm a comedian, I can just do a joke about it. But there's very few abortion card tricks. Right. And then right. I realized later on when I threw it together. Yeah. Now you have me thinking. Yeah, exactly. I think it could be done. I think it can. I think there's a triumph probably that made, uh... <laughs> I think at the end it's a mess, but I think it's worth it. It's the opposite of triumph. Right? Yeah, um, it's like well, it's an out of this world where it's just very pro-choice. Every it's, it's all about the choices that you get to make. Exactly. You your know? trick, your choice. I think that's the slogan. You're making a choice, you know. But one of the things also- right, uh, For people that have not seen Harrison, I was telling you this off screen. <laughs> Harrison, I'm giving you your props, is has mastered being very funny in comedy and very fucking awesome in magic. You know, you have that deathly combination of, if, if you didn't know magic in your act, people would be thoroughly entertained, you know? And if you did no comedy in your magic, they'd be thoroughly entertained. You know, you really have both of those nails, which is great. Well, that was one of the things was, I, I thought to myself, is there a way to do a sort of version of an abortion yeah. card? Because each trick I have has sort of that stand-up message right. built in or around it. I got into a lot of trouble at a magic convention because one of my tricks is I, I'm holding a, a Bible that shoots smoke out of the top. So people, sure. not everybody loves it. Right, fire and brimstone. And uh, and I do remember uh, being at the cellar and we're doing our little magic off, you know, at yes. the table there, which is a lot of fun, yeah. One of the things I found a quote um, that was really interesting because you somebody asked you about being a black nerd uh, and being a magician definitely qualifies. And you said it used to be that black comic figure had to have this bravado and always showed strength. Now there's a comic figure where it's okay to just be a nerd and be black. Was that was that a shift that happened over your lifetime essentially? Absolutely. And do you think do you think it's permanent and here to stay? Um, yeah, probably. I mean. When I was a kid, there were a lot of different black types of comedians, and then that kind of shifted into one kind of type. I mean, you had, um, like for instance, um, Flip Wilson, who was kind of a vaudevillian type comedian who told jokes. You know, you had Red Fox, who was kind of a dirty, like a uh, uh, party records type comedian that they said. You had Dick Gregor, who was a political comedian, you know, and did social commentary. You had um, Godfrey Cambridge, who was kind of a hipster, you know, a, a comedian did that type of stuff. And you had Bill Cosby, who was just a storyteller, you know, and just, just told stories. You could not find a joke in there, but you also did not stop laughing at Cosby's routines, you know. 
back in the day. And those, they were all black comedians and they all had distinctly different types of approaches. But by the late eighties, early nineties, every time you saw a black comedian on television be promoted, it was like that deaf comedy jam type of comic, you know, and Hollywood was like buying that style and the different, you didn't see any black political comics really, or people doing social commentary. I was doing it in my act in standup, but nobody really cared, you know? That's why I started writing because I realized I have to create a space for myself as a writer producer because Hollywood doesn't care about this. And, and um, Robert Townsend, when he did the movie Hollywood Shuffle kind of made fun of it where he talked about, well, can you be a bit more morphonic, you know, more urban, <laughs> you know, more ghetto, you know, and that type of thing. Cause they were looking for everybody to, every black comic to be the same type. Now that's kind of busted open. There's so many different types again, which makes my heart, you know, good. So I love seeing that. And do you think that's one of the reasons that there are less, like I, I, in comedy, there's at least more diversity than there is in magic for sure. There's a lot more famous yeah. female comedians. There's yeah. uh, if you if you say name a famous black uh, comedian, you can list uh, hundreds of them. Why, yeah. why is it that my minorities don't have as much of a place in magic at the moment? Mm -hmm. Or why aren't there more? Is there, is it a problem of represent of there being, there needing to be more representation in the media of them? Is it, what are, the, what are the things at play? Brothers generally aren't happy with things uh, disappearing without explanation. Like brothers are generally <laughs> not happy with that. <laughs> it, it leads to not a very happy origin story, you know. But, uh, you know, who knows? It could be in the culture of what people are interested in. You know, I think there's a, I, I think it's a matter of who has risen and become famous, some of that stuff and what you see. I think now it's a little different. You know, you have a lot of people out there from all walks of life, whether it's people from Asia, you know, I mean, look at Japan, what's happened over there. And uh, in terms of the of black people, people like Eric Jones are out there doing stuff. Yeah. But you, know, you go back to Goldfinger and Dove who were doing it in the seventies, opening for Red Fox, you know, blazing a trail. Um, Brent. Yeah, exactly. You know, and women are doing more magic. I mean, they've always kind of been underrepresented. It's nice to see them rising up now and getting more of a name for, for themselves. I think that's awesome, you know, because normally they would be the assistant, you know, relegated to, you know, and those were great roles, but they were usually the second place, you know, Johnny, Johnny and Pam, you know, Johnny Thompson and his wife, they always seem like equals, you know, in their act, yeah. that cool, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's, you know, who knows? You know, you never know with, with the nerdy endeavors, you just never know. <laughs> yeah, it, it just always struck me because stand-up feels like a young art form, you know, like it, it's within the last 50 years that you have modern standup. Yeah. And it's already so many diverse voices and you can see yeah. any flavor. Uh, and it feels like magic, which has been around for so many, I mean, thousands of years, it's been around for so much longer, should have those diverse voices. And it feels like we need to be pushing more to get those diverse voices. Yeah. I, I don't know if I can see another lineup of just all straight white men on every convention. Well, I mean, Magic, of course, is a side interest. It's not like it's a STEM issue in school, you know. So <laughs> it's going to be hard to get a coalition of people marching for more black magic, you know. That's right. <laughs> I, was, I was more interested in the Black React, uh, something we had on the nightly show of how, see, black people are more interested in reacting to magic than actually doing the magic, you know. So, like, black people, instead of going like this, they would much rather go like this. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Ah, and then it's wrong. Black people are much more interested in that. I uh, and uh, you had a segment called Black Magic on the nightly news where you black took full, full advantage of that. That's right. It's about all about the black react. That's what it's all about.
Before we get into that, uh, there was a clip that I'd like to share of you talking about uh, Black nerd culture with uh, one of my favorite people, I think one of your favorite people as well. Uh, let's see if I can cue this up. Uh, here we go. And that's, that's Neil deGrasse Tyson, by the way, doing a, a mic drop on your show after he took down a flat earther, which was uh, phenomenal. Uh, you know, I've still seen people on Twitter ask to see that clip or everything or play it. <laughs> I, I love how Neil is in his muscle shirt, too. You know, like he was sporting his guns that day, too. Like he wasn't kidding around. He was like, <laughs> yeah, come fuck with me on this issue, motherfuckers. I, <laughs> I want him to just be by the, the back my wallpaper on my phone, just to mic drop it. Yeah. Uh, here, uh, here's the clip. Do you count yourself a member of the geek community? I am, but in different ways that might surprise you. Really? Mm -hmm. So give me an example. Like um, I'm a magician. I do slide of hand magic. Magicians do know how to uh, demythologize and demystify in the same way that uh, some of the girls. That's fine. Like. All right. Uh, yeah, no, I can. I can ask you. Like such bullshit there, I think too. I'm like, what am I talking about exactly? Uh, well, I can't ask you questions about that interview, but I think it's better to get it straight from the source. Our special surprise guest, Neil deGrasse Tyson himself. Let's see if we can get him in. Hopefully, Neil will turn on. Uh, there he is. Hey, everybody. There he is. Hey, Neil, how you doing, man? Hey, Larry. Dude, it's so good to see you. Yeah, yeah, glad to see you're healthy. And oh, yeah. you, wait, wait, you have a printer in in the I back do. of your room? That's yeah, very we, 1990s of you. No, this is this is Costco. This is another, <laughs> another nerd thing. You're not a true nerd if you don't love Costco. Is what I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't is believe that. Why so printer. many Jews are nerds? Is that is that the connecting fiber? Is the the love of a discount? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, a good deal, you know. So I just got to catch up on a few of your items. You were talking about uh, early black comedians. My my single favorite joke ever from Dick Gregory yes. was he told us in like 1961, mm -hmm. I think it was, where the space program was just trying to get its, you know, get off the ground. And we hadn't yet launched a human, but we launched a couple of chimps, right? right. And so he said, yeah. Um, so, uh, so he said, uh, NASA, a chimp came back, um, from space and what no one tells you, but, but hang on, I'm going to get that sound. What, <laughs> there we go. Chimp came back in the capsule. They opened it up. What they didn't even tell you is that he went up as an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> you say space is dangerous, right? You don't know yeah, what the hell right? yeah. But, the, um, it, I, I met Dick Gregory when he was very deeply informed. Um, about current events. He would carry five newspapers around with him all the time. Yeah. And that's a political comic that um, was something that I think had uh, went away for a while before that came back. Yeah. And Neil, there's a shout out from Denise Reese, uh, wife of Mike Reese, who Larry- oh, Denise, hey, Denise. She was your housemate in at Harvard? Yeah. yeah. Denise is on fire. This is amazing. <laughs> this is a small world. Yeah, so I was gonna say I know Denise too. You can't I know. You know her. That's amazing. I had no idea that you guys went to school together. Uh, <laughs> That's so, so cool. So yeah, I want I also wanted to say I hear you're talking about magic. I did yeah. a little bit of magic when I was in middle school. I would mm -hmm. rent myself out to children's parties. So these would be younger kids, and I did magic based on physics. And so well, well, well where physics enabled what it was I was doing, but people didn't know that. So <laughs> So I would 
uh, one of the things I'd pull a, a, a tablecloth out from under a fully set table of dishes and stemware and, and, and glasses. And that's just, you know, uh, that's the, the inertia of any object with mass that will want to stay positioned yeah. while something else is moving next to it if you do it abruptly. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. If you want to mess up someone else who's trying to do that, give them a tablecloth that has a little hem on the edge. Ooh. Then as it slides under, it just trips everything off. Wow. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, so I would do a trick where I would say, okay, kids, I'm going to split an atom, but I'm not going to use my hands. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's another one, just simple things, like um, if you spin an egg, you yeah. know, it just won't spin. That's right. Uh, but I can pick one that make it spin. And yeah. my egg spins and yours doesn't, okay? And, and the reason why? The and reason it, why. Yes. Uh, the spinnable egg is, of course, a hard-boiled egg, and everything is basically yeah. solid on the inside, and you're spinning a solid object. And, right. a, and a gooey egg, you try to spin it, the egg is resisting you because it's not yeah. attached to what you're turning, and it'll <laughs> slow it down, and it falls over immediately. I think that may be in Henry Hayes' Encyclopedia of Magic. <laughs> <laughs> I love every old magic book that always asks you to find chemicals that would always, oh, yeah. always kill you. No, it's Here's oh, a, yeah, I even find a beaker of cyanide and pour it into this hat. It'll I, I had a chemistry set as a kid that had chemicals. I tell my kids this, they can't believe it. <laughs> you had a chemistry set as a child. We had there was a toy that had a hot plate on it. You know, <laughs> it had a hot plate that you plugged in. You could burn your skin off. Wait, wait, wait. And wait, 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 Harrison, that's only the beginning. We had monkey bars in the playground where you if you fell, you fell onto cement. Okay. <laughs> this, this is the generation that invented lawn darts. Okay? Yes. <laughs> I mean, right. half the stuff we grew up with is illegal, is yeah. is banned, is we, we we used to have these games where you played with a bead of mercury on a on a labyrinth. You know, mercury can make you go stupid. Okay. <laughs> so, so anyhow, so we so we water out of a hose like this. <laughs> we were baptized in all ways that would kill us. Just like coronavirus had no shot with us, man. No <laughs> <laughs> so, Larry, it's great to see you. I only had a few minutes. I thought I'd just jump in and say hi. Oh yeah, no, and and uh, for those who uh, are our fans and I'm sure it's everybody uh, youtube.com slash star talk radio. Oh, thank you. We got their 1 million subscriber we, on YouTube, which is amazing. Week we got our millionth subscriber on, on, on YouTube. So we're all very happy about that. It means people do care that we're trying to bring the universe down to earth to whoever will pay attention. And we just have a spinoff called a uh, star talk sports edition. Cause there's a lot of science in sports. And not only just in the athletes themselves, but in the coaching, in the methods, in the tools, in the computing, in the chips they'll put in you, and everything, and in, in the biophysiological measurements that are made to wow. decide whether you are should be pulled at this moment or not. So, so that's a whole other spinoff that we put yeah. out there. Now, Neil, uh, let me ask. You, can I ask Neil a very quick question? What's that? What are the odds of a coronavirus-like? Uh, thing coming from outer space and invading the world. <laughs> well, okay, I saw that movie too. It's called the Andromeda Strain. Yeah, well, yes, the Andromeda Strain. Might okay, so here, so here's the problem. Okay. Notice the coronavirus came from a bat. Very so likely they, came from a bat. A bat is a mammal. Got it. Warm blooded. So far, okay. so good. All right. Um, you are not likely to ever catch Dutch elm disease. 
Right. Because you're not a tree. Got it. Okay. So <laughs> viruses are highly, <laughs> just at, at the risk of stating the obvious. Okay. I'm not a either. Okay. Um, uh, oak trees will not get whooping cough. Okay. Yeah. So viruses are highly tuned to their host that they intend to attack. I understand. It's not likely on this model that anything from space will have any clue what humans are. Okay. Except for your Hollywood movies. Okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and before you go, I, I had a question, which is uh, one of the tropes is that the smarter you are, the easier you are to fool with magic. And as one of the smartest people I know uh, by a large margin, do you believe that to be true? Do you think it's easier to fool uh, a genius with magic? It's, wow. it's, it's, it's not that fooling them is proportional to their IQ. No, it's not. <clears throat> it's, um, it's, I just remember that you are fooling people because they're people. And we're all wired in similar ways to be, unless you are trained to overcome that wiring, which every magician is. But if you are not trained to overcome the wiring, you'll be misdirected. Plus, as a scientist, or if you're a smart person, you kind of trust that someone else is not trying to fool you, all right? Mm -hmm. And so you take it on face value until they violate some well-known law of physics. And then you say, no, nope, something else happened there. They're not gonna say, oh, wow, magic is real. <laughs> no, first, I'm not. <laughs> it's every magician's dream to hear Stephen Hawking go, what the fuck? A hundred percent. How do you do that? <laughs> if, 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 if you want to debunk charlatans, you can't do it just as a scientist because you'll be as susceptible as everyone else that was being duped. You have to be a scientist who's trained in magic or go go in a pair with another magician, and then you can see stuff happen. A lot of science was magic before it was science, right? Uh, well, that's that's uh, um, Arthur C. Clarke's famous edict. Sure. And any technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. So you can pull out your your smartphone and go back 20 years ago and people would burn you at the stake for what go back. Do you is there a time machine out there that we don't know ooh, about? You ooh, kind of, ooh, ooh, like ooh, that. Ooh, signing out. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, thank you so so much. Like we all have time machines. Is there something <laughs> maybe just turns the camera around to the back of the room it looks like the uh is a DeLorean under a tarp. Did you go to the Nerd March and there's a sign saying, what do we want? Time machine. When do we want it? It doesn't matter. Neil, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. All right, guys. And just remember, every disaster movie begins with people ignoring a scientist. And with brothers getting killed. All right, guys. Thanks, Neil, Neil. Thank you so much. Neil deGrasse Tyson, everybody. And uh, definitely check out his new show, Sports Talk, Sports Edition. Star Talk Sports Edition. It's the spinoff of Star Talk. And uh, go to YouTube.com slash Star Talk Radio. Watch all the episodes. I'm a guest host. Larry's in a couple of episodes as well. Uh, well worth watching. Uh, Neil is one of the, uh, the coolest people around. Uh, that was pretty fun. Oh, man. What a great surprise. He's, uh, he's just – he makes me laugh so much because, I mean, there's no better – I mean, no better nerd, no better black nerd, of course, too, than Neil deGrasse Tyson. But he's more than that. He's just his love for, you know, for what he does, I think, really was so infectious at a certain time that people just 
just jumped in that train. And it's it's a fun thing for people to jump on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a good message, too. Absolutely. You know, and for especially when you see kids loving knowledge and learning about the universe, stuff like that. I love I really love stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we mentioned earlier that I said we would uh, come back to was the the black ma uh, the black magic react. There is a uh, oh, sure. segment on the nightly show called Black Magic, um, yes. and let's cue that up right now. Uh, here is a sample of that. Oh nope. Oh, yep. Here we go. <laughs> well, those are those are some clips from the nightly show. Uh, yeah. This is what happens when you host and produce at the same time. It's, yeah. uh, <laughs> looks a lot easier on TV. All right, here we go. Uh, there's the clip of Black Magic. This is from Oscar's So White. But once the Oscars get mixed into it, boom. Robin screams always get me. Yeah. Robin Thede was trying to resuscitate Holly Walker in that way. Holly was so black reactive, she was like having a heart attack or something. And uh, the the white guy you have in that clip, who's the white guy who's not reacting? Rory Albanese, who's giving a very sedate uh, white reaction to it. Like, oh, that's very cool. That's interesting. So how does that, so they turn blank then? Is that what <laughs> And Rory was the, the executive producer of The Daily Show and then The Nightly Show as well. So he worked yeah. on multiple shows. Very funny man, as you know, in his own right. Oh, a hilarious comedian and somebody who is here right now. Rory no, no, way, no, way, no way. Hey, Rory. What's up, Larry? How are you, dude? They've uh, known each other, uh, if you can see from this photo, since the 1970s. That's a fact. Yeah, we go way back. They go yeah. way, way back. Yeah. It's, too way, it's too far back from here in the Roars. No, that's already a long time ago, man. That's already like four or five years ago. It's crazy. How are you doing, man? You're in the I'm good, you know, as far as the end of the world is concerned, I'm doing okay. How about you? Good. I was gonna call you and, and say we should we should revive the uh, part in the integration with you and Mike and just do it online or something. It was so yeah, it was it, so much fun, you know. It, it's so funny that you say that because Harrison texted yeah, me. Yeah. The integration. yeah, there it is, that you were doing this, and I had been meaning to call you just in the last couple of weeks to catch up and just see how you're yeah. doing. Because the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was that other high school idea we had at one point. Remember with uh, the uh, Bethlehem High, I think is what we call it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, um, man. But uh, yeah, man, I just miss you so much. And you know, listen, I I'm not going to lie to you. It takes a lot to get me to open a Zoom. But Larry Wilmore, I'll do it. Uh, <laughs> great surprise. So funny. I was I, Here's what I had prepared. Here, Harrison, lean forward real quick. Uh, what? 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 How did he? How, what? <laughs> how? How man take coin from TV? I was I was there the night you guys met at the cellar. Yeah. I, warned, I warned Harrison that you were coming. And I was like, Larry's gonna out magic you, and no. you two sat in a quarter. A jet, it was like um, Gandalf, <laughs> Gandalf and Soramon, You know when yeah. they were battling with. <laughs> I think Harrison did, didn't know that I could do anything. I think it was like yeah. He's probably got 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 a couple of frustration counts or something in him. You yeah, know? well, I, I remember Rory saying, Oh yeah, you know, Larry does magic. And I was like, okay, sure. I'm sure no. he does magic. 
I'm sure it's a fun little hobby for Larry. No, no, Larry's the real deal, man. Writing, comedy. He's a host. He has everything going for him. There's no way he's also good at magic. That is yeah. too much. <laughs> and then he showed up at the teller, and I was like, holy shit. No, he's for real. But that's what I was saying, because you're <laughs> also very good. Like Harrison did a trick to me one time that still I still tell people about, which was, you know, I was wearing a watch at the time and he was talking to me, telling me some story, whatever. And then he told me to look under my watch and there was a quarter under my watch. And I was like, ah, you know, like <laughs> at what point did you physically touch me? And what else did you do to me? What, you know, if you can touch me without me knowing, what else did you do to me? <laughs> in your pants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. I've never wanted there to be a quarter under your hat more than this moment. Well, what? <laughs> what? I, I even, you know, I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson talking and I was going, what? An egg? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Neil, did you want to spin an egg? We had so much fun in that show, as you know, Harrison. It, nightly yeah. show is too much fun. We Just, had the best time, man. That was so I, much fun. I still yeah. hear people all the time, Larry, we missed the show. We need the nightly show. You left us too quickly. You know? I know. We missed the whole Trump thing. I mean, we really, we really were just on him in August. He called a lot of that shit though. Before, like, I predicted he'd get elected a year, a year before it happened. Um, we predicted a lot of that stuff. You know? I swear to God, Larry was in a meeting, like when the when, when the Republican field was full, like Jeb Bush the, across the board, thirty guys in it. And he goes, Trump's going to win this thing. And we were like, come on, you're crazy. Like, everyone <laughs> that whole room was like, you're an idiot. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the boss and people are calling me stupid. Idiot. I mean, everybody was like, oh, my God. Just, shut up. Shut up. You know, <laughs> that, that was one thing about that writer's room, because we really did. Like, we worked hard to diversify it and bring in different points of view. And we really had very different points of view. But the problem with a writer's room with that many different points of view is everyone argued all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but then Larry I mean, pointed to an envelope with a question mark that had been hanging from the ceiling of his office. The right. <laughs> he pulled it down. Yes. He had yeah. the exact tallies. No, he pulled a safe out of the Hudson River on a chain and then unlocked the safe. <laughs> and in it was his predict. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> With those magic segments, was that something that Larry pitched or who came up with the idea for the, the black magic segment? Probably. I mean, I don't remember who, like, oh, it, it really was a writer's room that was, like, very open. I mean, we let everybody pitch, but it was yeah, one of those things that anything that went on the show, obviously, Larry, you know, green lit. So I'm sure at some point. But you yeah, got to remember. That's an idea I had uh, years before. I wanted to do kind of a, a history of magic type of thing. And one of the parts of it was to show black reactions through history to magicians. <laughs> and I was going to start with the silent version of it and they're watching Houdini. And so you just see glimpses of Houdini, but then you see black people in the silent go, oh, oh, It's that fast film, like the old baseball footage. And that was just. <laughs> first started years earlier, I wanted to do this thing. Uh, somebody was hosting the, the awards, the Castle Awards, and I wanted to do it as a, as a joke there, but I ended up not doing it. So. Well, but but that idea um, was not only funny, but what was great about it was we were actually able, and that's why it, what I miss so much about the show. But we were able to do actual political commentary. He yeah. would build, so he would build the tricks around, like you said, yeah, uh, so white. But it's like so he would build the tricks, a card trick around whatever was happening. So it wasn't just a magic trick. It was like there was another layer where he'd be like, yeah. well, elections 
are complicated and he would start doing blacks are invisible right so anytime we had to do one of those larry would be like all right i'll be in my office for three hours making a trick about politics you know exactly Exactly. close the door nobody allowed yeah work on some magic you know and then uh it was so fun though i mean we were really doing stuff on that show that i the thing i missed the most about it is just the team because we would have so much fun you know and i mean harrison you know this but it's like being at the comedy cellar table like yeah every day it's like you have a room full of people it's the one thing when i left the daily show that i missed so much wasn't the day the job but it was like the people it's like and you know with comedy writers and comedians like you can really it's a safe space to go to some crazy places. So, like, I could go in Larry's office and close the door, and be like, "I got some, I got some jokes." You know, <laughs> we would have been canceled five times over. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's tough to come out of that and go back to like civilization. You know, you're right. like, "I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that." No. Right. It was a great group, though. I had so, such a blast. I miss, I miss you. I miss seeing you. Larry. To great things, you know, some of our writers, performers. Oh yeah, so talented. Absolutely, we had a great team. And um, but I do, I, I do have to call you, man, because we got to catch up. I just missed. I, I just, we just it's been a while. Yeah, do it proper. That'll be great. We had a time to, uh, after the nightly show. It was really funny. I, I should have sent you the photo, but uh, where I got on a jet blue flight, and the guy right behind me was Larry. It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and I took a selfie, and it's just Larry behind me, like and I go, look who. I, Look who I ran into on a flight. It was flight. weird because Rory was in first class and Larry was in coach. So well, that was yeah. a really offensive, we all, offensive selfie to be taking. We all make choices. To do it. We all make choices, you know. Uh, <laughs> that was funny. Uh, good to see you, man. Yeah, you too, Rory. This is great, by the way. Harrison, this is great. I've been watching this whole thing. It's good to see both of you. But it, I feel like uh, nice to just see some people, you know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe right. and, and Rory, before you go, because a lot of the people who are watching are magicians and entertainers. Of course. What kind of lessons uh, did you pull from working with Larry and just from working on the Daily Show and the Nightly Show that they might be able to apply towards, you know, making their comedy and, and magic better? I mean, I think the thing Larry was, you know, a lot of the stuff Larry said earlier, I agreed with. I also think there's just a component to it that's trying not to get hung up on the thing you said, which is fame, 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 fame as the marker of success, because... I mean, you both talked about it, but, you know, you made your coal miner reference, which I disagree with because I actually like working class people. But um, <laughs> not, I don't live I don't live in Patterson's Ivory Town. Well, there goes that lucrative coal mining money. <laughs> I know. But I, but but I'm saying I think the trick is, you know, the, the act of doing it, being a magician, being like for me doing stand up like as a headliner on the road. Yeah. Like I'm not Dave Chappelle and selling out theaters, but. I get to headline comedy clubs and that was the goal, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, working in this business, getting to work with guys like Larry, getting to work and produce shows, write on shows. And I, I have a very similar approach to my career. A lot of it is because of how much time I spent with Larry, which is, you know, doors open and you walk through it. So sometimes I'm doing some on camera stuff. Sometimes I'm doing some stand up. Sometimes I'm producing this. Sometimes I'm writing this, but all of it's part of the success of being a part of the business. Yeah. You know? right. Yeah. And, and also, you don't really have as much control. And if anything, people should be learning from the pandemic is we don't have as much control over anything as we think we do. Right. So you don't have control over your career that you could hold on to it like this. And I'm just going to make, you know, I, I think you have to just accept the fact that it's a, yeah you know, there's a lot of decisions that are made and luck and timing. And so many of those things are factors and you can't, you know. You got to like just enjoy the ride a little bit, which is hard to do. Believe me, I spent a lot of years not 
doing that. So it's only the last few that I'm able to step back and go, you know. Like some people, they look at my career, they say, you've done so many different things. I've always had those goals. I go, well, I got fired from that thing. So that's why I had to do that other thing. <laughs> let go from that thing. So that's why I had to do that other thing. Right. And then the other thing was canceled. So that's why I had to do that thing. Exactly. And I got fired again. So that's why I had to do that thing. That's yeah. why I did so many things. I had to work. <laughs> exactly. It's not, like, it's not like someone comes up to you. They're like, listen, you can start an action franchise or... <laughs> you can go produce this, you know. You're like, well, I got, you know, it's, you sort of go, well, I got to work. Yeah, I got to work. You know, I got to eat. I got to work. But it's still, you can still find the joy in whatever it is you're doing because it all leads to the same place, which is, you know, not really working because it's the entertainment business. You know, I so, will say this: I gave a compliment to Mike Reese earlier. Rory's in the same boat as this man is always, always funny. And just always bring Roy never takes a day off at work. He's the kind of guy that is so reliable because he's always bringing his energy. He's he he will never let you down in that work situation. I always love that about you, Roy. It's never like oh, Roy's a pain in the ass today, you know. But come to work tomorrow, Roy. How about that? It's never like that. Even if Roy had issues, it's like he might talk about it for ten seconds and like, but whatever, you know. And then, <laughs> you know? And then Roy would. You should know, Harrison. I would see Rory after you know, outside of work. Outside of work, I'm a huge cranky asshole. You know what no, I'm saying? I so say, you can't I, have it on both sides. I was gonna say the opposite, which is you would be pulling these full shifts where you were working the whole day and then come to the cellar and be have more energy than a human should have after pulling that much work. Yeah, I had, but that was, was yeah, that was I'm 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 too old now for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was still in my thirties, man. I can't do that shit anymore. In my thirties. Um, I miss you guys both. It was great to see uh, you. Both. Larry, thank you so much. Larry, I'm going to call you. Harrison, I probably won't call you, but Larry, I will call you. <laughs> no, just keep sending those pictures. I will. I will. All right. See ya. <laughs> <Let's bend down. laughs> Roy Albany's everybody. I love oh, you yeah, so much. Such a treat. As you know, Harrison, hanging out with Roy is so much fun at the, at the cellar or whatever. He's just so and funny. And his is great. He is a special, which if you Google him, it's Roy Albany's. Uh, he's a a, a fantastic special and is just uh, an amazing comic to try to watch all the clips you can online. Wait, started on the Daily Show as an intern and rose yeah. up executive producer. That is a Hollywood story. Yeah, and by the way, Steve Papone is in the house. He said, Denise, Yay. very cool. So Steve is in as well. Yay, Steve. We very, got the whole crew. Um, Steve, very talented, very talented, very talented, very humble man at the same time, you know. I mean, that's the key, I think. Those are the, it's, 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 it's been remarkable to meet people like you where not only are you super talented, but you're also, as my dad would say, a mensch. And that is, oh, it's so nice great. to meet those guys. It's, it's amazing that people, it just, it just feels so cool to meet people like that where you're both talented and nice. That's the Venn diagram that you need. Thanks, Harrison. My pleasure. Uh, speaking of nice and friends, um, I hear you have some magic besties too, in addition to comedy besties. Who, like, when you're at the castle, who are you hanging out with? Well, my my longest bestie, I guess, is David Rio, <laughs> who's known, of course, in the magic world. David and I hang out all the time. Um, people think we're married sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my buddy John Gustafaro, who's so so talented, um, very creative. Another guy. Oh, there's a picture of us. Three guys hanging out. Um, it's just fun to bounce ideas off of each other, and uh, you know how it is, you know. Just run ideas by and just have fun and just make each other laugh too is the other thing. You know, we're always laughing about something which is fun. 
Yeah. And are you, I hear that you might have like, are you doing like regular Zoom calls during the pandemic together? Yeah, Sundays we do regular Zoom calls. We just did it on a, I think it was maybe the first or second weekend, you know? And uh, John kind of sets it up. We have a couple other guys sometime who hang out. Um, uh, and it's just fun. Ryan Schultz stops by. Um, and it's just fun, you know? Well, it's I don't want to get in the way of any Zoom call, so let's bring them on. We got David and John oh. in the house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is my, my calendar. My calendar just this live video chat. <laughs> I like that David's body looks like Captain America before he got the serum. <laughs> David is still a twelve-year-old boy. His body has not changed since he was twelve. Actually, yeah, it's he like, it's like the twelve-year-old boy got his dad's head grafted. The only thing for David that has changed is the law's ability to punish him for what he does. <laughs> you have tattoos, David? I see tattoos on your shoulder. I know. I never knew that. David's you have tattoos. It's got yeah. tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have one mad. I have a, one real magic one. Really? Really? Can we see it? Well, <laughs> no. Um, I'll show you. I didn't know it was going to go this way, but okay. <laughs> yeah, that's very magicy. Okay. I won't see what it is. Can we do a close? Good tattoo or something. But I have to look over my shoulder to see if I'm getting where I can. Really? <laughs> this yeah, is this, amazing. This is kind of how our zooms go, right? Can you wow. see it? Yeah. Oh wow! Yes, the Robert Houdin orange bush. Correct. Okay, okay. If you say so. <laughs> <laughs> From a distance, it just looks like a mistake. Uh, <laughs> hey man, sorry, but um, I ended up tattooing like a an orange tree on your back. I apologize. <laughs> okay, don't worry about it. I'll, it'll be Robert Houdin's uh, orange trick. <laughs> uh, and David, I, I, you met Larry. I believe the first time you worked together was on Whoopi. Is that yeah, I knew Larry before that. Yeah. We ended up, though, working on the same show in New York, which is a vivid memory for me because uh, at that time my kids were younger, and everyone was still at home. And Whoopi shot in New York. Yeah. So uh, it was an unusual experience commuting, you know, uh, back and forth. Yeah, and we were all in Manhattan. There was a a blackout. We all had to walk across uh, uh, the bridge. I remember from Queens to Manhattan. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And John, I, I I don't know if there's a direct cause and effect here, but John had a great column in Genie Magazine called Magicana, and yes. you uh, John published a, a a bunch of your tricks, and it was his last. Art, it was his last article. So I don't know if Larry's responsible for ending your column, John. <laughs> After me, you wouldn't let him do it anymore. I've never, no, he, I think you just can't top Larry. It was a great way to go out. It's just amazing. And I think you said earlier, like, uh, oh, you don't know if, if, you don't know Larry for all his chops, but man, he's got him. And then it was such a pleasure to to uh, publish some of his, his moves and his routines. Just great creative thinking. So and yeah, what's that? I believe was it your daughter that took the uh, the photographs? Uh, uh, oh, you know what? These these I actually took. But my daughter has taken all for all my books. She's taken most of those photos. But for these photos, I actually went down to Larry's house in Pasadena and we hung out for the day. And you know, and I'm like, oh, there's a, there's an Emmy over here, whatever. <laughs> and uh, is, uh, I asked John to send me photos, so he sent me this beautiful photo. Uh, this is uh, Larry with I, I believe it's Buster. 
Yay, Buster. Yeah. yeah. And then what I noticed was as I continued my research, everybody not noticed the shirt here and the jeans. Uh, the Magic Canna article, he's in the same shirt. Same day. So I believe same he's day. from the same yeah. day. It's all the same day. Yeah, it's awesome. I also particularly like this because the expressions uh, on your face while you're showing the moves. Uh, there yeah. we go. It looks like uh, you're trying to get the paparazzi to go away. I, I don't know what, <laughs> what John was doing, but it sounds like you're trying to get rid looks like you're trying to get rid of him. I look so dorky as far as I can. <laughs> <laughs> but that's one of my favorite now, that's one of my favorite utility moves called the Wilmore Washing Fold. It's a way to do instead of the Mercury card fold, you fold the card while they're shuffling the cards there. So there you go. It's a great move. I, when I was uh, I was lecturing and performing at that the session in uh, in London. And Larry said, oh, that sounds fun, maybe I'll go. And he ended up flying out and they had him as a guest uh, on stage there was talking. It was, what was that, like 14, 2014, I think. Um, yeah, but Larry did in front of what hundreds of people and he's just doing something off the cuff and he's folding a card in front of everybody. They had no idea he was doing it because it's just all done conversationally. It was, it was awesome. It was fun to fool a room full of magicians. With, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Came up with, you know, as, as John does all the time, of course. Uh, well, I did that our sessions every weekend are, are pretty damn cool. So yeah, David, David's stuff is the is the most fun because David's an inventor. You know, he's you know, he would have David could have survived in any century, by the way, because he would figure <laughs> out how to, make, how to make something out of whatever was there. You know? I barely survived. Yeah. <laughs> I walk by. Yeah. He's alive. <laughs> but it's fun seeing David's like, now I haven't practiced this yet, you know, but wait, yeah. <laughs> of course it worked brilliantly, you know, something that he built that day or something. Well, no, I mean, here's the thing. We all know magicians. We all know these people who will not show another magician something until it is like ironclad and they want very much to fool you. And if you're fooled, they want to give you a little look and walk away. And I'm right. the opposite of that person. I like to take some half-baked something and when you have friends like uh, john and larry yeah it's a great uh, opportunity and a great freedom because there is no strange i don't know where it comes from ego pressure to you know we're here to fool each other and we're here to you know keep secrets no it's sort of the opposite it's like uh and that's what i like most about magic being able to have these uh you know these friends where you can try something and they'll give you some honest feedback and uh, and very often, the honest feedback reveals something that you didn't consider, or you didn't think about, or you didn't know. Makes it better. Yeah. yeah. And, and when you guys are working on stuff, are you guys coming up with new stuff? Are you guys? Is there a format where you're presenting tricks to each other and giving each other notes, or is it very sort of informal, just friends being like, "Hey, check this out." Informal, I'd say, and I'd say most of the time we're perfected. We come with some sort of prepared idea most of the time, and usually it takes a, a positive turn and, and, but sometimes things are just off the cuff, like, right, hey, that's a good idea. And this something happens and it's pretty damn cool. Yeah. Like Larry and the, but Larry's work on the hover deck has been pretty awesome for the past three, three, four weeks, uh, at least on, on the zoom sessions, but you've been working longer than that. So. Yeah. Uh, there's only something I will take a, just an idea and go, you know, it's a bit of a corner of an idea. And then it's, what if you did this? What if you did that? What if you did that? Go, oh yeah. That was, that was it's interesting, you know, but it could be anything. It could just be, taking a card and just turning it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need like a sound effect machine so I could put more applause. Yeah, there you go, right? <laughs> it's almost like taking rubber cement and somehow changing it. 
<laughs> I love that. That white claw goes perfect with your 16-year-old girl body. <laughs> now, see, you said 16-year-old girl. I was saying 12-year-old boy. So Thank you. Thank you, Larry. She needs my body. That's right. I don't want an eagle. boy right here. I was at least keeping him in the same gender. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. You know, we get, you know, sometimes things will happen where it's like you come to a place where you didn't even think, you know, so it's so much fun. And we used to hang out at the castle. So this is kind of our way of kind of doing that, you know, and sure. telling our families that we'll be back, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And are you, I mean, I know when I'm with my my friend group at the castle, there's sometimes you watch an act and like, are you ever, you, do you ever get to be stark partners with each other? Do you ever get to go, holy crap. Is there, is there any sense of, uh, oh, no. are you guys, the, are you guys the, the cool kids in the back of the room? Or are you the nerds in the front of the room? No, no. we're fans of magic. Absolutely. No, we're fans. We love, we love watching stuff that, that, it doesn't matter, like you said, picture. No, we have that joy that I was talking about. Like David Rigo, here's a guy who's written how many books, you know. I can't tell you how many times he'll come up and say, God, you have to see this guy in the closer room. He's doing this thing. I mean, David doesn't have to have that opinion. I mean, he loves magic, you know, like all of us. We we all love it. So there's no snobbery at all. Yeah. And uh our I let's just clear this up, is that you're tall. And David is normal, and not you're normal, and David is very small. No, no, no. Larry was a ventriloquist dummy that he <laughs> that looks like me, kind of. Oh my god! Uh, before I let you guys go, John and David, uh, any other stories you'd like to share about Larry? Oh, uh, well, you know, funny stories. What? No, what's great about Larry <laughs> is Larry is Larry, and by that I mean, uh, look, even. Uh, John, uh, you're not in, in TV, but the Magic Castle is a very show-busy place, and you meet a lot of people that seem to have all these agendas on top of agendas, and it's not, uh, besides the fact it's not a healthy way to be, uh, I've learned very slowly over the years that, you know, it's the friendships that you have and the people that you can talk to and the people that you, you know and sort of, you know, are, you're on the same ship, the life ship, not the showbiz ship. And that's what I value most about magic in general. Uh, it brings you to interesting people and you meet uh, uh, people that, you know, you spend some time with, maybe six months, maybe be 16 years. But that's the kind of cool thing about magic. It's a language like music is. And when you meet these people, you have something, something to share and you develop these friendships. And uh, especially now that I'm less frantic about my career than I certainly was when I was in my thirties, uh, you appreciate it much more. And so, uh, you know, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know Larry probably over 15 years, but I, I've known him just as a magician, you know, and his stardom is just everything he does from producing, acting, writing is just amazing stuff. But it was just great to just meet him as a fellow magician at the castle. And, just, uh, and, and David as well. I think we just all share an affinity for magic. We're just, you know, down to earth and the phone could ring at any given time. Hey man, just had an idea, just thinking about you, whatever. Um, yeah, but it is cool. I mean, every once in a while people will come up and they recognize Larry from the Daily Show or from the office or whatever, which it's all par for the course. But um, but the castle is kind of our, kind of a sacred place for us. And I mean, even though we don't need to make dinner reservations, we do sometimes because we want to have that full castle experience, have a nice dinner, see some shows and, 
everything up. But the, the Zoom thing has been a, been a we never we hadn't really done that before the pandemic, and it's been a really cool thing to look forward to each week. Like it's got to be a loss, Harrison, of not having the auxiliary to hang out and you know to have that be have that you know that corner table so much fun. But all the tables there, you know, just the people just. You know, you could spend hours there just having a couple of drinks, shooting the shit, busting each other's balls. That type of stuff is so much fun. You yeah. Know? I had to do a Zoom call just to get Robert Kelly to call yeah. me and tell me. I was, I was waiting for him. Come back. <laughs> Where was that? It, uh, the rubber cement turned into alcoholic seltzer and it turned back. <laughs> I, somebody asked a question in the audience saying, how do you maintain creativity? But I think it's uh, chugging glue. I think that's the key. Yeah. I think it's just the joy of doing it, you know. Yeah. When our calls, we just have fun trying to figure, trying to figure stuff out, you know, and try to um, not get too caught up on the purity of anything, you know, or just just trying to make it fun and the best that it seems like it can be, you know. Well, every time I talk to Larry, every time I talk to John, I learn something every single time. Not that that's why I'm there. I didn't mean to cut you off, Larry, but it's every time. Because it's a different perspective. It's, you know, we're, we're all toil in the same fields, but we're also individuals and we see things in different ways. So, yeah, I love the journey of uh, coming up to that thing you don't know. Yeah. And uh, that experience is great. Absolutely. Uh, John and David, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, if you want to follow John, by the way, he's on Twitter and Instagram, John G Magic. David Regal has uh, a bunch of books out there uh, available where all good magic books are sold. No, it's bagels in Burbank on Mondays, generally. <laughs> David and John, thank you so much for joining awesome. us. We really, really appreciate awesome. it. Thank you, Larry. Bye, David. Thank you. Absolutely. See you soon. Thanks, Harrison. Bye. Oh, man. Uh, we are in a stoppage time, everybody. If you have a question, um, you have about a minute or two to put that in the chat um, while we're waiting for those to show up. Uh, Larry, as somebody who has has been on all sides of the entertainment industry, writer, performer, you have a really unique perspective uh, on, on everything. What would you do uh, to improve magic? Do you think you have any things that we can do to make magic uh, uh, better than it is today? I don't think there's anything wrong with magic. I think, like I was saying, it's the delivery system. It's who's doing it. It's point of view. It's story. You know, what are the stories are you going to tell? But magic is in fine shape. You know, there's so many great classic illusions. There's great modern illusions, you know, modern concepts, never been more sleight of hand technique. There's nothing wrong with magic itself, you know, but it's, but what are the stories that we're gonna choose to tell about ourselves while we're doing it, you know, and, and who are we doing it for? A lot of those things are to me are what keep it fresh, you know. Uh, yeah, uh, I think, oh, uh, there were no uh, questions popping up, just people saying, that was great. Applause, was applause, great. applaud. Oh my God, Larry is a freaking giant. Oh my God. I think he was speaking metaphorically. I think he was talking about your talent. They see me in those uh, in those pictures with David. That's what they mean by freaking giant. Yeah. That's right. Oh, there we go, Larry. Who's your favorite comedian? Um, you know, it's this is not a cop out, but I just have several. You know, because I've had them from different eras. You know, my very first favorite comedian was Flip Wilson when I was a kid. You know, I just. Wanted to be Flip Wilson. Everything about him was great. Then it was the Marx Brothers. You know, I just learned everything there was about the Marx. Groucho. I still do Groucho lines all the time. There's, in my mind, nobody was ever funnier than the Marx Brothers, even though people have been funny. But nobody's ever been funnier than the Marx Brothers. You know, 
And Richard Pryor, you know, is another early influence, you know, listening to his records and that kind of stuff. That's a nice hodgepodge of different styles, you know, yeah. and everything. Steve Martin back then, you know, uh, so many people. There's just too many. This next question might be offensive. I'm not sure because uh, I know nothing about sports. But somebody said, who is your favorite Seahawk? Um, well, look. Okay, so <laughs> Richard Sherman was one of my favorites because Richard Sherman always brought it, you know. I'm assuming based on your hat that you are a Seahawk fan. Yeah, I mean, Sherman's not there right now. He went to the 49ers. But, um, you know, I'm a Wilson fan. I like Wilson. I like the fact that he came in undersized quarterback. You know, nobody nobody really thought that much about him, you know, coming from Wisconsin, I think. And I just love how he brings it. Should have had another championship, too. Should have had another Super Bowl. (laughs) I know nothing about what you speak. I assume the ones with the most points win. I just made everything up just to make it sound like I knew Harrison. Well, you were one of the few magicians that also was athletic. Like you, you actually were an athlete. I come from a sports background. My father played college football. Um, I grew up in a sports neighborhood. Uh, Many people I know who I grew up with went pro. Um, My, one of my good friends, a couple of doors down from me, Bill Duffy is a big sports agent. He, he played it. He was a high school American. So I grew up in a real competitive sports environment. Um, I played football, ran track, played basketball, all that kind of stuff. And thought that I could maybe have a career in sports probably. But the good news was here, because I grew up around all that talent, it was immediately apparent if you didn't live, if you weren't that. <laughs> you know, like I could tell what what uh, the type of talent it, you needed for that next level. And I didn't have that. You could just tell, you know, like if you weren't six five and six six. What, what, what are you trying to do, you know? Fair. I mean, I was a young uh, Jewish kid, so my dream was always to own the team. That was the best shot that I had. You could still do that. <laughs> That's right. We'll see. I'm making uh, zeros and zeros of dollars doing this. Yes, you could still own a team. I can't play at this point. <laughs> uh, and the final question, which I ask uh, everybody who's been on the show, there are a lot of young magicians who watch this because uh, this is put out by the IBM. If Yay. you're, you're talking, if you, are speaking directly to these young magicians, what kind of advice would you give them perhaps in this quarantine time or, or more broadly as they begin their journey as a magician? Um, I would say, remember you're performing for your audience, you know, and um, don't worry about like performing for magicians is fun, but that's not the point. You know, there's an audience that you're performing for, you know, and so that's, and you want to be yourself when you're performing. You know, put yourself in that. And it's some people it's easier than for others, but don't worry about artificial dialogue or what you have to do. You can make things as simple as possible. You can just say, watch, watch, <laughs> you know, yeah. and start from there and then figure out, you know, from there, you know, um, just be simple. Do it for your audience. Take joy in entertaining them and to seeing them filled with wonder. You know, you can't ever lose with that. You can't stop liking that. That is amazing advice. Larry, thank you so much for doing this. I can't tell you how much of an, an honor and thrill it is to oh, have you on the show. I can't believe how much fun this was. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. And I hope to see you hopefully in the club sometime. I know. know. Oh, God. Remember when audiences were a thing? I know. <laughs> I know. It's going to be weird. I think I'm going to ask somebody to pick a card and people will go, will run away screaming. Yeah, exactly. They'll go like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. exactly. Yeah. The only magician who's coming out of this okay is Jeff McBride because it's all masks anyway. Yeah, or you'll wear a thumb tip just because you don't want to touch something. 
you know. That's right. I want to thumped up on every finger. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Larry, thank you so so much, and uh, I, I greatly greatly appreciate it. Everybody in the comments, uh, uh, thanks you as well. So uh, yeah, thanks hopefully talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, man. And that was Larry Wilmore, everybody. What an incredible interview. He's such an incredible person. Uh, his story is so, so amazing. Uh, make sure you buy his book, follow his podcast, his podcast. Uh, let me put up the information for that. It's called Larry Wilmore Black on the Air. It's through the Ringer Podcast Network. You can download all those episodes right away. Uh, and if you'd like to download this as a podcast, you can. It's available on Apple Music. Just go to whobooksthat.com. We upload the episodes as audio-only podcasts as well. And it's every Monday and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time. Our guest on this Monday coming up is Mark Summers. He's the host of Double Dare. He's also the host of Unwrapped on the Food Network and a magician. He started out as a magician and a comedian. Uh, and so I, I'm very excited to be able to talk to him and uh, find out about his life story and his thoughts on magic and comedy. And if you'd like to follow me at Harrison Comedy, a uh, huge thank you to the IBM. You can join them, magician.org slash join the IBM slash join. Huge thanks to the president of the IBM, Alexander, who has been uh, incredibly supportive of this entire project. He's been doing a great job. A huge thank you to all of our special guests, Neil deGrasse Tyson, which uh, so, so fun to have him on. You could watch all of his shows, youtube.com slash StarTalk Radio, the new spinoff of StarTalk, the sports edition, the science of sports. We also had Rory Albanese download his stand-up special right away, right away, right now. It's so good. Uh, John Gustafaro, David Regal as well. And of course, the biggest thank you to our guest, Larry Wilmore. Thank you so much. Uh, so such an incredible uh, inspiration and so cool to be able to talk to him on this program. That has been Who Books That? Thank you guys so, so much for watching. Uh, a huge thanks to Denise Reese as well, who figured in not just one, but two different segments of the show. Love you too. Mwah. Send my love to Mike. That has been the show. And we will see you here on Monday for Who Books That, everybody. Thanks so much. <laughs>